and uh, taking a moment to minister that word to you this morning. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, a long time ago there was a leader from one country who was asked to come to another country and visit him and his wife, and he did that, and those two countries had a bit of a strain between them, but this was a, a token, a, an olive branch of sorts, and as they were together, there was a time for a photo session, and that leader from the one country and his wife invited the one who had been invited to the country to stand with them. And at that moment, the the one leader's wife was in the middle between the, the other two, the two other leaders. And that one who had been invited had these words he was going to say as they were going to have this photo taking it, taken at the last second. That wife decided to switch places with the leader that had been invited. So now she's on the outside. The invite is in the middle. And then that leader is on the other side. And they, they took the picture and that, that one who was invited decided to still say what he was going to say. And he had said at that point, uh, very simply, a rose between two thorns. And he was going to say that with her in the middle. Now he was in the middle and it made it sound like he was the rose, they were the thorns, and that did not help for uh, those countries' relations, to say the least. But David could speak about Abigail like that. A rose between two thorns. Her husband was Nabal the fool, and David was potentially going to be one as well, a fool. But we want to focus for a few moments here on how this all ended up playing out as the wisdom of Abigail is flanked by the foolishness of Nabal and the potential foolishness of David. Abigail plays the role of the rose. And she, uh, this whole episode as it plays out, plays out in God's redemptive plans. And we can see how we can respond to this passage ourselves in Christian faith, uh, though maybe that's not able to, something to be seen so easily on the third surface. But we're going to take a look at thorn number one, potentially thorn number two, and then the rose. So thorn number one is the foolishness of Nabal. And there's different ways in which Nabal is a fool, and his name itself means that. It means folly. Now whether that was a nickname or whether that name could have meant more things, the name fit him perfectly as we see in this passage. And it's not because he wasn't intelligent in many different ways or that he wasn't successful or powerful because he had a lot of wealth, he had a lot of property, he had a lot of food and power, he had a beautiful and intelligent wife, and so things weren't all bad for Nabal, but he was foolish in the moral or spiritual sense of the term. We all know a lot of smart people in the world, but that doesn't make them necessarily wise, does it? That doesn't necessarily mean that they're not fools in the biblical sense, the moral sense, the spiritual sense, like Nabal was. His foolishness is a failure in this case, if we zoom out, we look at it right, 
what he's really doing is he's failing to recognize the Lord's anointed in David. He fails to recognize him and he calls him all kinds of other things. He fails to recognize in different respects. He refuses to show generosity to the Lord's anointed, to David and his men. Even though they had been like a wall, they'd been like a shepherd around Nabal's servants. David had been their protector like a good king would be. He was like Jesus Christ himself, a shepherd to his sheep of Israel. It would be like what we hear about in Psalm 125, that as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord protects his people, both now and forevermore. But Nabal was a rich fool. He didn't see this. He was rich in things, but not rich towards God. And when we're thinking in our own lives about, you know, what's our relationship with our, our Christ? How dedicated? We talk about being dedicated, right? And if you're thinking about your, you know, how do I know that I'm dedicated? What are some of these things that I can look at in my life that kind of show to me that I really do appreciate what God has done for me? I had to go and make a church visit a couple of, a while ago, and I had somebody talk to me and say, and a church visit where, as a pastor, we go to visit a different church leadership. And, and the deacons there were saying, what can we do to make people uh, see the, the importance of generosity? Not that these people weren't in, in, at all generous, but it was kind of that mentality. If they got rid of the dollar bill and they decided that we were only going to go on the $2 bill, that that would all of a sudden automatically double offering. Because people throw the dollar in and without really thinking about why they're doing it. And one of the things that I mentioned to them was, well, if we can promote the idea and remember how God has been gracious to us in Jesus Christ and we focus on graciousness, we focus on grace and the generosity and the indescribable gift that God has given to us in Jesus, then generosity follows. It just follows. Your level of generosity is dependent on how deeply you appreciate what the shepherd of your soul not only did for you, but's doing for you. And what he will do for you. And so that was one thing Nabal didn't catch. He also treats David like an evil man. Here's a guy, you know, there's lots of people that are turning from their masters. There's a lot of rebels out there. I'm not going to supply for this guy. He's bad news. But we know that David was innocent in these things. And he had been kind to Nabal, in fact. But that didn't matter. What mattered was that this is how his perception was of, of this anointed one. It was like people who realized that Jesus Christ never did anything wrong. He never did. Not one thing. But nevertheless, they, they treated him as a rebel and a promoter of chaos. He who had been so kind and so loving. Well, that's how Nabal's dealing with this anointed one, with David. And you know, it's for that, it's for that very spirit of sin, right? Right? 
that foolish notion where we in our sin think God and his Christ have it out for us. It's just a, just a foolish way of talking. But it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? God wants the worst for you. So follow the way of the devil. That's what the world wants us, our children, to think. That's what we got to protect them from. We need to promote with them that God is just the opposite. Far from wanting to promote chaos in our lives, He brings peace, He brings order, He brings righteousness. He cares. But when we don't think that way, and in our depravity we didn't think that way, that was the spirit that brought Christ to come to die for us while we were yet those kinds of sinners. But how much we have to be careful that we don't fail to respond to Christ and to God and His Christ as if that is the way of chaos. And we see what God says. You know, I mean, just just the example of, of marriage, right? Is that you 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 dedicate yourselves, you devote yourselves to your spouse. You say you're going to leave father and mother and the two will become one flesh. That brings harmony. We do it the other way where all we want is the one fleshness and now we've got problems. Right? That's just an example. God cares. He, he gives us direction for a purpose. He doesn't want to burden us. But we're tempted, and we, we're tempted to fall into the trap that God doesn't have it out. He has it out for us, and we want to take the foolish path, like Abel did. And, 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 and for us to think as Christians today, especially then, that, that in the predicament, predicament we might find ourselves, or the busyness in which we find ourselves, or in the loss that we find ourselves, that God doesn't care for us today. We might feel like that sometimes, but we must never believe that. But Nabal did. Right? And, 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 and taking that approach is, is putting ourselves on a terrible path. Now, Nabal also uh, showed a, a Goliath-like disgrace that he saw on, 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 with David. He wanted basically David to die, which would also cause God's people to suffer. You know, Nabal loses with that attitude. <laughs> you can see that. David's going to wipe him out. Killing off David is going to kill off David's line, kill off the cause of Christ, ruin God's people, and, and Nabal's shooting himself in the foot that way. And, and we should remember as God's people, if, if we are Christ, that we, we, we don't want to, to take that approach, right? We should remember God's people uh, as those who uh, we don't want to risk the, 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 the disgrace, but, but to build up in the faith, right? Because we're members of one body. If we turn our back on Christ, we turn our back on, on God's people. And here again, this is one of those ways that you can look at yourself and ask yourself the question, you know, have I turned my back on Christ? Is Christ that important to me? 
Ask yourself the question whether you turn your back on God's people. Ask yourself if the communion of the saints means anything to you. Or if it means little to you. Right? We, if we turn our backs on Christ, we turn our back on His people. But if we turn our back on God's people, what does that say about how we are looking at Christ? That doesn't speak much to our commitment to Christ either, does it? But that's the thing Nabal did. And he was also a fool because you couldn't talk to him. The passage says that. We talked about that last week, didn't we? That we have to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because that doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. When you have somebody come to you, or if I have somebody come to me and they tell me about my flaws and my failings and I've got them, I don't always like hearing that. Right? That's not pleasant. It may be true. It may be true. But I don't want to hear it. Right? That's foolish. It's the fool that won't listen to that. But people a lot of times fear correcting fools because they know they won't listen. Right? Sometimes you have that in your lives too. You go, I've told those people that before. I, I can't even tell them anymore because I know how they're going to react. They just won't listen. Nabal's acting like a fool like that. He's also an alter ego of Saul. He was banqueting like he was a king. He had 3,000 sheep. Saul had 3,000 men, we hear. He had a disdain for David. Saul would call himself a fool in the next chapter. David would greet Nabal with long life like Saul was greeted in chapter 11. But like Saul, it was, it was not going to be Nabal's kingdom that would last. His foolishness is not going to go unpunished. He has a heart of stone. He has no generosity in his heart. He's not a person that wants to listen. He's got stony ears. And what happens to him? He dies, he turns like a stone. And God finds a just punishment for him because stony hearts are judged accordingly by, by the Lord. But And we have to be careful that way on ourselves with ourselves as well. But David's the other thorn here. And it's true that he had been a wall of defense for these people. And, and, and that was kind of like Christ that way, right? But then he does the exact opposite of what he does with Saul in the previous passage and what he does with Saul in the next passage. And we are going to look at those passages, so don't, don't worry. But he's rushing head on. And he doesn't want to wait for the Lord and, and the Lord's vengeance. He's been offended and he's going to get his pound of flesh. And, that, and that's the cultural way too, isn't it? I'm going to get what's coming to me. I'm going to get my pound of flesh. And that's easy for boys and girls to do, right? And, and, and adults to do. You're going to get somebody back for what they did to you. They pushed you, you're going to push them. You're so mad that you can't wait to let them have it. And you won't rest until you get a chance to pay somebody back. Well, that's like David. You can't wait. He says, let's all get our swords, strap them all, let's go. And they're ready to rush into things. Parents can do that too. We can rush into things and regret it later in our parenting. Because we don't step back. We don't zoom out. We may be in doubt, but we don't zoom out. And we don't see the bigger picture. And David didn't see the bigger picture. 
David sees this attack from Nabal as a threat to him. He takes it personally. He doesn't think about God's cause or his promises or his plans for him. All he, all he sees is, is nothing. He misses the vision. He thinks that his pride's at stake, his security, his name. And so before he's going to get obliterated, he's going to obliterate the one who's trying to snuff him out. But what he fails to see, as our passage says, is that this isn't his battle, it's the Lord's battle. And he fails to see that the Lord's cause is bigger than his cause. And that he has to keep that cause in mind, that he's dedicated to that cause. Like children bringing their, their children, or parents bringing their children uh, to have them baptized. How they get reminded and assured that his cause needs to be first in their family. Yeah, Samuel had died, you know, and we read that. The people mourned, and they probably mourned for many reasons, but they didn't have to mourn without hope because, yeah, Saul was going to be missed, just like so many of God's people are going to be missed. I mean, how many people don't you know that you've missed because they're gone? How can we live without them? How can we live without her? Well, we can because God continues to live with us. And so we don't forget the bigger picture. The battle belongs to the Lord. It's not just Samuel's cause, but it's the Lord's cause. And even if people like Saul would like to make out like you're dead by giving your wife away to somebody else, as Saul does, God's plans are never going to die. And God's can, uh, cause is going to be one. You, you want to kill Christ? Ah, then you kill the problem. If you try to snuff out Christianity, then Christianity will indeed be snuffed out. But that's not so, because God's plans went out. God's cause wins out. God's justice is carried out. God's going to protect his people. He's going to deliver them in his time. And like David, we need to be reminded of that sometimes. We need to get the vision again. David did, thankfully. We read in a very interesting way that he was supposed to see that his life was in the bundle of the living. That's an odd thing for us to hear, the bundle of the living. The bundle was probably the satchel where one kept one's precious possessions. Such is the way it was for David. Such is the way it was for Christ. Such is the way for us when we understand that our lives are hidden in Christ. You see, our salvation is one. Blessings are secured. The relationship is intact. The security is established. Unstable sometimes, unpredictable sometimes, up and down, yes. Surprises, yes. But, but secure. Your life is in the bundle, you say. And David needed to remember the promise of an established kingdom, which Abigail does to help him. She helps him see the big picture. She, she doesn't want him to do anything to jeopardize, jeopardize that kingdom. She wanted to remind him that the obstinacy salts of Nabal couldn't stand in the way of the kingdom. So don't stand in the way of it yourself. And so David sees the vision again. And what does he do? He submits to God's timing and to God's cause. And it's God's timing that prevails. And he's like Christ said, who wouldn't bruise a reed. He'd wait and accept a promise that would, that would lift him up even as Christ was raised from the dead though he had to face the cross. 
even though Saul would treat him as dead, even though Nabal would just as soon see him dead, David's kingdom would live forever in Christ. And from where we are, we have to be glad that we can say that we don't have to wait for that kingdom to be established in promise. It is when we want to rush headlong into something without thinking it out. How important for us to wait on the Lord to make sure that we do the right so that we don't miss the vision of God's kingdom, that we don't submit ourselves to His ways. When it's our desire to carry out God's vengeance for Him, then we need to be like Christ and be like David and submit to God's will. And knowing that when we do, He'll see it all out. We don't need to rush into things. We need to do the right things, as Christ did for us. The rose is, is Abigail. You see the servants of David corresponding to the servants of Abigail, and you realize that Abigail's a good fit for David. Her beauty, like that of Rachel and Esther, is enhanced by her actions. Unlike Nabal, who's stingy, He's slothful to the Lord. He's apathetic. He doesn't care. She's speedy. She's generous. She's waving her hand and saying, what can I do to help you? Yesterday we had a chance to go and hear a word and deed conference or a dinner in Rock Valley. And uh, Sharif was his name. And I'm trying to remember his last name. But, but he was an Egyptian fellow who a Christian there who works in Egypt. And he was talking about the ministry that he's carrying out there. And we were sitting there, those of us who were sitting there, we were hearing him and they were saying, yes, we've got these conferences and people are, are, are chewing up books. They, they want to hear more about the gospel. And we're going to go down into southern Egypt because there's people there who want to hear from us. And every time when... And, and maybe he needs to say no once in a while, but every time he says, yes, I want to go. Yes, I want to help. Yes, I want to be of service. Because he, he recognizes how important it is for that gospel to go forward and to be dedicated to Christ. And it was very inspiring and very encouraging to see that. He was speedy. He was generous. And here he was away from his family for a week so that he could tell us about what the Lord was doing in Egypt. It was encouraging. I, I would recommend to any of you when those kind of things come up, get a chance to go because you'll get re rekindled, you'll get inspired, you'll get educated about what God is doing in other parts of the world. Well, I, Abigail wouldn't let grass grow under her feet waiting to respond in, in honor of the Lord's anointed. She was so much better than Nabal that way and a, a heroine of faith. But beyond her generosity, she makes restitution to Nabal's offense. She's being used as an instrument in the hand of the Lord. She's, she's an instrument both then and today. Think about the Davidic future, David. Think about what God has in store for you before you put your plot your course of action. What courage it took for her to come and correct this one who was bent on revenge. You know, we need the Lord to give us the courage to correct like that. And how important for us to consider the Davidic kingdom in Christ today before we plan the course of action. Why is it that we're doing what we're doing? 
Why are we moving? Why are we taking that direction in life? Is it because we got Christ in mind? Or are we just doing that so that we can grow our own kingdom and, and our own cause? David had to be talked out of that. And sometimes in our lives, so do we. But you notice why. Of what is David also reminded by, by Abigail? Your enemies will fall before you. Remember that, David. Nobody's going to be able to stand against your kingdom. Not Saul, not Nabal, not Herod, not Caesar Augustus, not Pilate, not scribes or Pharisees, not the fears and wars of today or the fears of tomorrow. Nothing is going to be able to stand against your kingdom, and the reason was something Abigail couldn't see, and that was that Jesus Christ's kingdom is like on any other. So watch out, enemies of Christ. Watch out, complacent. Watch out, blasé. Watch out, indifferent. Watch out, rebellious to Christ, because nobody stands among the Lord's enemies. That was true then, that is true now, and that'll be clear tomorrow. So watch out. And make sure you're right with David's son, Jesus Christ. What a rose Ab Abigail was. Because she was willing to be an instrument of God. And she carries on in that Christian spirit when she's willing to be slave of all for David's sake. She leaves Carmel. She leaves her wealth. She leaves, the wilderness, she leaves to go to the wilderness wanderings. She's willing to be a pilgrim in a desert land. And we're to be like that, willing to be slave of all because that's how Christ was for us. Nabal was unappreciative of the Lord's anointed because of his closed hand and his closed ear. David, we see through the instrumental, instrumentality of Abigail, was able to submit to God's timing and cause as a picture of Christ himself. And through Abigail the Rose, we saw the opposite of Nabal. One was able to be used by God to help David and us to see the bigger picture of God's plans and God's kingdom in Christ. You live in thorny times, and so do I. And in the thorny ways of life, may we be seen, though, as roses, caught up in the vision of Christ's kingdom and caring enough, whether we're raising our children but whatever we're doing, we care enough to reveal or remind others of Christ's kingdom in what we believe, in what we say, and what we do. Amen.